So I want you to think with me about your favorite public service announcement. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about those ads that try and help society at large remember something that they should know about. This idea of the PSA, or public service announcement, came about after World War II, and one of the first public service announcements that was created was under this theme of loose lips sink ships. Apparently, moms and dads, relatives and others were talking about where their sons were going in the midst of World War II, and there was a concern that that information could get behind enemy lines. So that was the first public service announcement. I started thinking back of my own childhood, and it's crazy. I remember so many of these. Maybe you remember them. Here's one. Fill in the blanks. Ready? Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent forest fires. Or McGruff the Crime Dog. Take a bite out of crime. Or, remember this one, Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs. Or here's another one. Remember Vince and Larry, the crash dummies? The tagline after they would wreck their cars and get out was, was this, you can learn a lot from a dummy, buckle your safety belt. And then here's another one. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. So these ads were designed to remind people about things that should be self-evident. Preventing forest fires, lowering crime rates, avoiding drug use, buckling your seatbelt, not driving while intoxicated. These are pretty obviously good things that you should embrace. But the aim of the ad wasn't to convince people that these things were good. That was obvious. The aim of the ads was to remind people about something that they already knew, but they tended to not take seriously enough. The ad council knew, and those who designed these public service announcements, they knew this one thing, that the problem for most of us is not merely information, but rather it's the consistent application of the things that we already know. That's the problem. We know we're not supposed to text and drive, but somehow we think we're better than other people when we do it. We think we can do it, but they can't. Sometimes we need a good reminder of what we already know. And church, that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It is a book filled with nuggets of wisdom that are designed to take truth and then apply it to life. And these 31 chapters are filled with pithy statements that leave us nodding our heads. When we hear something from the book of Proverbs, we find ourselves saying, oh, that's good. I need to remember that, or I needed to hear that. So we're in week three of a nine-week series on this book. First week, we looked at the essential nature of wisdom. Last week, Brad did a great job helping you understand the way in which foolishness is costly. And today, we're going to look at the issue of immorality. The title of my sermon is Immorality is Stupid. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 make that case very clearly. Mom and Dad, if you're watching this program, you have little kids, it just maybe freaked you out a little bit because, man, all of the sermon's going to be on this subject. It is. Here's my promise to you. I'm simply going to walk you through the text of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, whatever the Bible says, I'm going to say, 
But this is an important topic for us to, to talk about, and one of the things I would hope that in the context of the church is that your kids would hear appropriate things, and then you could even have an appropriate dialogue with them. So I promise to be careful, just want to set you at ease. But we also need to talk about this because this is a critical issue. Every week we need wisdom in a ton of areas. And I realize that culturally right now, immorality may not be top of mind. I mean, my goodness, from thinking about reopening plans, spread of COVID-19, racial injustice, the church's role in racial reconciliation, even how do we think through this cancel culture, how do believers get along with one another, it's Father's Day, it's Juneteenth weekend, like all of these things are in the mix, aren't they? And you need to know I feel that. But here we are in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. It happens to fall on Father's Day. I didn't plan that, but I don't think it's by mistake. And what I want to do is I want to walk you through some truths that you probably know, but I think Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 will help you to be reminded of some things and why they're important. So today we're going to look at these three texts, and I've organized them under four particular points. We're going to grab from 5, 6, and 7 throughout the sermon, so you need to have all those chapters available to you. And the four points are these. There's an appeal, there's a temptation, there's consequences, and a strategy. So the appeal, the temptation, the consequences, and the strategy. All right, let's get to work. So first, the appeal. The text begins with another plea, an appeal for the son to listen to his parents. He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Remind you that the book of Proverbs was written and edited by Solomon. By Solomon. It's a, a book that's a collection of wisdom that's designed to be handed down from a father and a mother to a son. And what we see here is these parents are appealing to this son to listen to them, and in particular, to listen to them about the dangers of immorality. He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, verse two, that you may keep discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. So the idea is I'm gonna tell you something, but I want you to not just hear me, like I want this to get so inside of you that when you rehearse it verbally and when you think about it intellectually, it will serve as a grid through which you see life. Part of the reason why they appeal to their son is because of the natural foolishness that's implicit as young people grow. The second reason, not only does the son need to be wise, but the second reason is that there are dangers that are connected to the issue of immorality that are really serious. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Third, the reason why they make this appeal is because there is this sense in which as you grow older, you are able to see more and more of the effects in people's lives or in friends' lives or in marriages or in the behavior of people that are related to this issue of immorality. So junior hires and senior, uh, senior hires and college students, 
I just want you to understand that your parents aren't old-fashioned. Well, maybe they are a little bit. Let's give them a little bit of uh, grace in that way. But what they have seen is they've seen the effects of what happens in life when bad decisions are made, and in particular, they've seen the effects of what happens in this domain as it relates to immoral behavior. I have a vivid memory of where I was sitting in our living room when my dad came home one evening. He was a deacon at our church. He had confronted a friend and appealed to him to return to his wife and kids after leaving them for another woman. And I will never forget the ashen look on his face when he walked in the door. I wasn't in the conversation, I wasn't in the room, but I saw the effect on my dad's countenance and it affected me. It's as though Solomon is saying to his son, listen to me, listen to me. One of the challenges of being in pastoral ministry is that you get a front seat to see the effects when immorality bears really negative fruits. And I have at times come home after a day like that and without giving any details, have sat down with my children and I've said something like this to them. Guys, I want you to listen to me in light of what I was involved with today and I wanna caution you about the dangers of immorality. Solomon, is appealing to his son to listen to him. This book doesn't just apply to young men. He's using this book to apply to his son, but it applies widely for all of us, whether we're men or women. If you look over at chapter six, you'll see the same thing where he says, my son, verse 20, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Notice that he says there in verse 21 of chapter six, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. The idea is let these be something that you put on and wear. This is like how you need to think about life, that they're incredibly valuable. He says in verse 22, when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And so he's just saying, listen to me because this is really important. Wear this, get this in you, understand this. Look at chapter seven, same thing. My son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments. This is chapter seven, verse one. Keep my commandments and live Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. The idea is like make this truth so real to you that they're like family. So Solomon is appealing here, and there's this level of urgency. I'm sure Solomon knew what happens when immorality takes hold. And quite frankly, he may have been speaking from personal experience. Some of you are listening to this message today and you know about the dangers of immorality because it's a part of your story. And let me encourage you as we're walking through this text that, friend, sexual sin can be forgiven and God can still use you to caution and help others. So, don't make the mistake of thinking that God is done with you and you've got no credibility to talk about any of this. 
Proverbs are true in every arena of life, even when you've not been perfect. There are sections of scriptures like this that are really helpful, and I love that Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 are in our Bible because we need instruction like this. Mom and Dad, can I just remind you that your children are going to learn about sexuality and immorality from someone, and I hope that you're the first one in the door. I hope yours is the loudest voice, the most consistent voice, that your model is the one they could patter themselves after because every single one of us learn an understanding, a vision, if you will, of human sexuality. The question is whether or not we learn it from the Bible. And dads, on this Father's Day, it's particularly critical for your voice and our example to lead the way in this arena. Some of you wish that you had that kind of experience growing up. Your parents were either silent, they were unhelpful, or maybe they were part of the problem. And I wanna encourage you to be able to break that cycle and be the first wise person in your family when it comes to the topic of sexuality. Solomon appeals, and pastorally, can I appeal to you? Far too much time in the context of church ministry is spent trying to repair the damage of a blow-up because of immorality. So there's an appeal. Here's the second thing, we see the temptation. The text lays out here the nature of this temptation. Look at chapter five and verse three. He describes the temptation as a forbidden woman. Go to chapter six and verse 24, and you'll see that she is described here as the evil woman or as the adulteress. If you go to chapter seven and verse five, she's described as the forbidden woman and the adulteress. Now, let me just be clear. We're not just talking about wicked, sensuous women. Solomon is speaking to his son about what he could be attracted to. This text applies to men and women. It applies to attraction between men and women, between women and men. It applies to same-sex attraction. This text applies to immorality as a general category. And what Solomon is trying to do here is to help us understand the nature of that temptation. Dwayne Garrett, an Old Testament scholar, says about this text, the Bible does not hide from or obscure the power of the temptation to elicit sex. In language that is refreshingly clear and direct without itself indulging in titillation, the text warns the reader of the debacle that awaits him should he succumb in this area. Now what's interesting, in chapter five and verse three, it says the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. If you go to chapter six and verse 24, you'd see the same thing, that the smooth tongue of the adulteress is described there. Same thing in chapter seven and verse five with her smooth words. So there's something really important for us to understand about the nature of sexual temptation, and it's this, that the temptation for sexuality outside of the boundaries of what God has designed is never just about sex. Instead, it's also about desirability, about ego, and about greed. I'm gonna show you this in a moment. 
It's about being wanted. It's about being desired. It's about being pursued. So immorality then is just the expression of one's desire. It's the expression of one's ego. It's the expression of one's greed. So Dwayne Garrett says this, again, the Old Testament scholar, the man is drawn to her, listen to this, this is so important, because she inflates his ego with hollow praise. See, the attraction is never merely sexual. There's always more. Look at chapter seven, and notice the desirability and the pursuit language that Solomon uses. In chapter seven and verse six, he imagines himself looking outside his uh, window of his home, and he sees a young man who's lacking sense. Verse seven, chapter seven, I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a man lacking sense. Verse eight, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. It's as though Solomon is going, bro, don't go there. Like I'm watching this young man, he knows where he's going, he's intentionally going down this path. He lacks sense because his curiosity is about to put him in a spot of temptation. Remember that, curiosity often opens the door to temptations that are hard to resist. Sometimes we lack the wisdom to understand or maybe just the conviction to not put ourselves in situations where temptations are likely. The woman in chapter seven and verse 10 meets him. According to verse 10, her appearance is immodest and she is set, her heart is set on evil intentions. So even in her appearance and the way she carries herself, she's signaling that she wants attention. You see, in his pursuit of her and in her pursuit of him, the attention-seeking, ego-fulfilling, desire-longing peace is the central part of what makes this temptation so strong. Notice in verses 11 through 12 that she seeks attention and she's very active. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, in every corner she lies in wait. In verse 13, she's aggressive and she's bold. In verses 14 and 15, she talks about a party and a festival along with seeking him out. She says, I've sought you out and I've got a festival at home. It's a party, come on, come, I want you to be there. And she allures him in verses 16 through 20 with suggestive words. Verse 21, the result is that with much seductive speech she persuades him and with her smooth talk she compels him. Friends, this is the nature of sexual temptation in all of its forms. And the list that I just gave you may be eerily familiar for some of you. Like that just described what happened in your life a number of years ago. The enemy tempts us with things that seem interesting, seem attractive, and seem fun. And I want you to remember this when, if it happens to you, that suddenly you find someone coming on to you and there's this moment inside of your heart that thinks, wow, Really? 
and there's an instant of affection and attraction and affirmation that happens in that moment, and that's the moment that Solomon wants this text to come in and say, wait, before you go too far with that thought, I want you to see what this is. You see, temptation in its essence, all temptation, but particularly temptation in regard to immorality, offers us a promise. John Piper in Future Grace says this, the power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. No one sins out of a sense of duty. We sin because it promises that at least in the short run, things will be more pleasant. So one of the strategies, we'll talk about this in a moment, to understanding how to be able to win the battle with temptation of any kind, but especially in regards to the temptation to sexual immorality, is understanding the promise that is behind the thing that is offered to you. And whether it's an illicit image on a screen or a suggestive conversation that just gets too flirtatious or a too close, intimate relationship with someone that isn't appropriate, those things aren't just a problem in themselves. They are the gateways to something else that we want. And Solomon here doesn't deny the attractiveness of the temptation. Rather, he wants to gut it to help us to see what it really is. So here's what he does. He peels back the appeal and shows us the stupidity of immorality. So the appeal, the temptation, here's third, the consequences. These three chapters all show us incredible consequences and the application of wisdom here is for the son to realize what is behind the temptation and for him to realize where this is going to lead. So sexual temptation offers us something that seems to be attractive, it seems to be enjoyable, but Proverbs says it's a trap. And the way that the book of Proverbs warns us is by highlighting the negative effects in order to take the luster off our lust. Chapter five and verse four. What seems delicious is actually disgusting, and what seems soothing is actually deadly, says Derek Kidner in his commentary on Proverbs. Look at verse four. But in the end, her she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Verse four, or five, rather, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Verse six, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. The fact of the matter is, is that there is a danger that is here. Look at verse nine. He says, lest you give your honors to others, your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and labors go to the house of the, your labors go to the house of the foreigner and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, oh, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. Invariably, some of you are on the path right now, headed towards immorality, and the challenge is, is brother or sister, you just don't listen. 
Verse 14 says, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And so Solomon wants his son to know, look, son, this goes bad. Look at chapter 6. We see the same kind of consequences. Look at verse 27. He says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he says in verse 29, he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. But he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away, for jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. And then we see verse 22. He says, at once he followed her, as an ox that goes to slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know it will cost him his life. All right. I know this is heavy. You need to know it's designed to be that way. I'm... I'm, I'm almost just reading to you what the Bible says and stitching together three chapters. And the reason that the Bible does this is that Solomon wants his son, God wants you through the Bible to know that what seems to be attractive actually opens a door to enormous pain, unbelievable difficulties, the fracturing of trust, and sometimes the blowing up of relationships. A friend of mine, Daniel Henderson, years ago published a book called Think Before You Look. It's a great title. It's in particular on the dangers of pornography and he empowers men, in particular, written to men, to proceed with caution and to understand how they need to think about their own hearts and particularly the consequences and that is what Solomon is trying to do here. He's trying to help us to be reminded of what we already know. This is bad, this isn't right, this isn't appropriate, but somehow in the moment, the temptation causes people to lose their mind. They forget about all that they know. All they know is they want to be wanted and then they're down a moral rat hole. Listen, with this heavy tone, I also want to offer some hope. Solomon's aim here is to prevent immorality by demonstrating its consequences, and some of you know what those consequences feel like because you've lived them, and I'm not intending to bring up horrible regrets from your past. I just simply want to remind you that if you're a follower of Jesus, that he died for every sin, including sexual sin. And you need to know in the context of our church, there are many, many stories of redemption and grace and recovery and restoration. So there's a path for mercy. There's a path for grace. No question there. 
But this text is designed to warn you before you get there. That's why it's here. All right, finally, strategy. Our text concludes by Solomon giving some strategies. What do we do? Let me give you four. They all start with the word A. First, avoidance. Proverbs 5, 7 to 8, he encourages his son, let not these words depart from my mouth. He says, don't depart from these words. Let me read it. And now, O son, listen to me, and do not depart, there it is, from the words of my mouth. And then verse eight, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. So there are some things that you just need to be aware of that you need to stay away from. Certain people, certain things, certain situations that are just needlessly tempting and they need to be avoided. 2 Timothy 2.22 tells us to flee youthful lusts. Listen, you don't beat lust with an argument, you beat it with speed. You get out, you run, you flee, you avoid. Second, avoid affirmation. So avoidance is the first one, affirmation is the second. In chapter five, verses 15 through 23, he extols the value of a marriage that's committed, that's covenanted together, that becomes a refuge from temptations outside of it and an affirmation of the sexuality within it. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Verse 17, Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. He then goes on to verse 20 and he says, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? He says, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his path. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies because of a lack of discipline. So what Solomon holds up is a, Strategy is an effective, affirming marriage. So for those of you who are married, can I just encourage you, make your marriage strong. Affirm one another. Be sure that you do your very best, God helping you to meet the needs of each other in the context of your home so that when temptations come, that the heart is as full as it can possibly be of what it means to be safe, to be in relationship, to be able to be the kind of united husband and wife that becomes a beachhead against all of the onslaught of the enemy. So avoidance, affirmation. Third, affection. Set your heart on the right thing. Chapter six and verse 25, he says this, do not desire her beauty in your heart, do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. The idea is set your heart, set your affections, tune the things that are attractive, talk to your heart in terms of the content of the Bible and direct your soul towards where your affections should really need to lie. Avoidance, affirmation, affection, and the final one is awareness. Avoidance, affirmation, Affection, awareness. Here's verse 24 of chapter seven. And now my son, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. 
do not stray into her path, for many a victim is laid, has, has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. A realization that many have fallen and a deep commitment to apply God's grace in your life so that you would not be among them. Don't be the foolish man or woman who thinks that could never happen to me. Don't look at your marriage through a unrealistic lens of we would never have that happen to us because Proverbs says over and over and over there are many marital body bags along this path. You shouldn't live in fear, but you should be sober-minded. So, Solomon identifies the path of immorality and he desperately wants his son to not go down it. You may be listening to this message and you're not yet a Christian. And while this message hasn't been implicitly about the gospel or even explicitly about the gospel, I want you to know that Jesus came to die for all sin issues, including sexual sin. And it may be that in the context of your life, your brokenness in this arena is actually waking you up to the fact that there's something that you're missing. And you know, other people have found Christ that way. In fact, one of the early Christians in the 300s, his name was Augustine, was filled with immoral behavior. He, He found himself desperately lacking and he came to Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And he said this, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Why not come to Christ today? Some of you are in the early process of recovering from the sinful actions of your past and maybe you're a single person trying to figure out how to live consistently and righteously or maybe you're a married couple trying to figure out how do we rebuild trust right now. Listen, don't quit, don't don't stop, keep going. Let this message be an encouragement to you to say, you know what, this is serious and we're gonna keep pressing in. Finally, A word to dads. Brothers, our role in society and in our families is crucial. Our kids need our attention, they need our affection, they need our leadership, but they also need our purity. They need to know that you know how to fight temptation. They need to know that you know how to build a solid, Christ-exalting marriage and how to set the example of how to live as a godly man in a over-sexualized world. I'm thankful for an army of men at this church who understand this and who are committed to this, and I want you, brother, to be among those. So if you're stuck and you're trapped, there are a number of people who would love to help you, men who can help you find freedom and a renewal of your purity. Don't allow the enemy to hold you hostage any longer. On this Father's Day, I'm calling you to follow Jesus wisely. I'm calling you to follow Jesus faithfully as it relates to the issue of immorality. Brothers, dads, let's finish faithful all the way to the end. 
Father, I pray that this reminder of what probably every person watching this message knows would be a helpful reminder that would drill down into the depths of our souls both the challenge of the appeal, the nature of the temptation, the tragedy of the consequences, and the strategy for moving forward. So grant us grace to apply your word in our lives. And I pray, Lord, for an army of men who would be faithful followers of Christ, whose minds and hearts are set on Christ in the midst of a world with endless temptations, but hope found in Jesus. And we pray this in your name, Christ. Amen.